morning and happy Mother's Day to all mothers here and those of you who are joining us online. I thought today we could start with something a little different. Let's see how much you know about Mother's Day. So at this time, if you have your phone, I encourage you to take it out. And if you could just go to uachome.org slash quiz, I'll give you a few seconds to do that. And when you're there, you'll be asked to give yourself a name. And I think we're ready to go for the quiz. Okay, we've got, a, we've got 30 players ready. Let's give you a few more seconds, more people to get involved. Get in on this quiz. Okay, numbers are going up. Great, we're getting more and more people. Okay, I think we've got quite a number there. Okay, can we go on to the first question? So we're gonna give you a question and you're gonna key in what you think is the right answer. Answer fast to get more points. So our very, very first question, what is the most common way people celebrate their moms? Is it through buying them flowers, getting them a greeting card, or taking them out to a restaurant? What do you think Canadians do to celebrate their moms? Put your answers in quickly. And the correct answer is greeting cards. I went to the grocery store yesterday, and boy, I thought to myself about this question. By what I witnessed yesterday, I too would say flowers, because every other person was leaving the grocery store with flowers in their hands. Okay, let's move on. Let's see who's winning. Looks like AC is winning. All right, let's move on. Next question. How much does the average Canadian spend on celebrating their mothers? How much does the average Canadian spend? Is it 111? Is it $83? Or is it $175? What do you think? Put your answers in. Everyone has voted, so let's see. The correct answer is 111. Yes. Okay, let's move on. Who is winning now? Okay, we've got Big Mama, who's now taking the lead. <laughs> let's move on to our next question. Question number three of five. Okay. Mother's Day ranks as the most shopped for holiday. Do they rank fifth, second, or third? Mother's Day. Everyone has voted. Okay, let's see what the marks are. And the correct answer is second. 
second only to Christmas. Now think about that. At Christmas time, people spend gifts, spend money on buying gifts for everybody. But here, it's just mom. All right, so moms are really important. Let's see who is it leading now. Let's go for leaderboard. Okay, looks like Jasmine is the top leader now. Let's move on to question number four. Mother's Day dates back to... When did Mother's Day celebrations begin? Was it 1753? Was it 1907? Or was it ancient Greece? Correct answer, ancient Greece. Yes, there was some type of a Mother's Day celebration back in ancient Greece when it was involved mostly in celebrating motherhood and some um, female deities. But throughout uh, all these years, various cultures have celebrated mothers in different ways. All right, question number five. Oh, wait a second. Let's see who's in our lead. Oh, Skids is now taking the lead. All right, last question. Here we go. Question five of five. Mother's Day in Canada has its roots in. Is it Mother's Day work clubs, women helping women, or none of the above? What do you think? Everyone has voted. Let's see what the correct answer is. It is Mother's Day work clubs. It was Anne-Marie Jarvis in the early 1900s in the in United States who felt uh, in the name of motherhood would gather groups of women together and do uh, all kinds of things for society. It wasn't so much a day of uh, uh, celebrating moms as it was a day of moms getting together to celebrate the society. And they used to raise money and do all kinds of things to help poor moms who had tuberculosis or other things like that within society. Upon her death, her, her daughter, Anna Jarvis, is the one then who wanted to honor her mother specifically for all that she did, and then other mothers as well. And that's the development of the Canada Day uh, celebration of Mother's Day we have today. It may have changed a lot since those early days, but it's still a day we set aside to say thank you, Mom, and to just appreciate all that mothers do. And it should be a day to celebrate, because mothers um, really do a lot, and mothers are really, really important. But before we go on, I have a message for dads. Dear dads, we'll be talking a lot about moms today, and we'll be saying great things about them. But please, please understand, does not negate your greatness and the importance that you have as well. Dads, just hold on. Six more weeks, Dad. <laughs> And then we'll focus on you. But when you just listen to a message like you might listen to today, you may just get that feeling, well, if moms are so important, like, what are we? You're equally important, dads. But today we'll focus on moms because it is, after all, Mother's Day. So moms are very important. And today's message is entitled, But What Happens When Mom's Hugs Aren't Enough? Okay, and this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk about why moms aren't important, 
sorry, we're going to talk about moms being important, and then what happens when mom's hug isn't enough. We're going to talk about God's promise, and we're going to have a takeaway. I also want to make sure that I give credit to where credit is due. I did do quite a bit of research, and just on the screen there is some of the places I used for some of the material that I will be sharing today. So let's move on. Moms are extremely important. Society bears the evidence of that. The tireless works of mother. We can go back to Anne-Marie Jarvis, the person on which Mother's Day was founded. But look around you. There's so many grassroots organizations that have start, been started by moms. Why? The motivation they have to help their child. They not only help their child, but then they help others as well. If you have a child with a developmental delay or another type of issue, you can take that child now and you can be guaranteed that that child will have some sort of an education. There'll be, pl there'll be things in society that will support you in the raising of that child. But that was not always the case. And this is an example of some of the hard work and the tireless advocating that mothers do to try to change society for the good and the better of all. And they do a lot of this because they're so motivated by their own children. Mothers influence their children and society in profound ways. Listen to some of the um, statistics and some of the studies that have been done over the last years. Scientific research continues to reveal the interconnected, complex ways that mothers, develop, mothers influence brain development. Think about that, especially as a newborn. Um, that child, that little infant may eat every three and a half hours or so. That child sleeps a lot. You don't think much is going on. But in the little tiny brain, all kinds of neurons are firing and all kinds of things are happening. And mother is influencing what's happening in that little brain. Mother's voice activates brain activity. All kinds of studies have been shown that infants and children can quickly recognize their mom's voice and prefer their mother's voice. Mother's voices have been known to um, decrease stressful situations in preschoolers if they just hear their mother's voice. Even though what she's saying is meaningless, she could be saying blah, 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 but if they hear their mother's voice, some of the stress that they're experiencing will go down. Other studies show that school-age females, when they experience a stressful situation, if they hear their mother's voice, it was found that uh, cortisol in their brains has gone down. And that's a good thing, because cortisol is the one that causes stress. These studies have highlighted the profound influence that the mother's voice has on the children's cognitive, emotional, and social function. And as mothers are with their children, parts of the brains are developing. Infants need to make an attachment. And as with the loving care of their mothers, they attach to that one person. And yes, they do attach to others as well. Mother is the, uh, the one that they attach to most. And through that, parts of the brain are developing, specifically parts that will help them later on when they are uh, making uh, relationships with other people. So even though when they're really, really f little and you're just focusing, if you're a mom, on just getting through that day and all the responsibilities of that day, those interactions are helping the child and setting the child up for relationships later on in life and also for the ability to learn in school. Mothers influence how we will manage our emotions, our attention, and our actions. 
So a mother's love is crucial to the well-being of children. Mothers impact their children in profound ways, and they sacrifice so much for their children. And they do this from the deep resources of love they have for their child. If you ask a mom to do something for a child, she may not want to do it because it's hard. But she's never, ever even going to think about, oh, this is such a sacrifice. They just do it out of this love that comes for that child. You may often uh, listen to, a, especially if it's a new mom, uh, speak and they'll say, I never understood how I can love another human being so much. It comes out of that love. Moms are so important. And God uses this metaphor of motherhood to describe his love for us. But what happens if mother's love is not there? Is it possible? Yes, it's very, very possible. Moms pass away. Moms sometimes are far away. Uh, we experience things in life that separate us from our moms physically, but also emotionally and socially. Sometimes mothers are sick. Sometimes mothers have uh, mental health issues that they cannot give to their children all that the children need. And then it becomes very difficult. What happens then? I want you to think about something. I want you to think about how complex we are as human beings. If you think about the animal world, you may think of a puppy. A puppy goes from being born to an adult in about a year. And other animals are the same. Some are less than a year. Some are slightly more. Some animals, uh, the mother will lay the eggs and then go away, and they're hatched, and they're on their own right from the time that they're hatched. But human beings are not like that. We are complex, and God gives us moms to help us to make sure that we go, uh, grow through to becoming healthy, uh, capable adults. But that does not happen all the time. There are times when we can be feeling completely and totally alone. For some kids, they may be in boarding schools. Think of Ukraine, what's happening right now. How many people may have been separated from their mothers and fathers? It's possible to feel abandoned and alone in this world. And it's possible to be struggling because we're not able to make those healthy emotional bonds. What happens then? Well, you know, the Israelites faced this experience in their, in their journey. And God used that to, and used that metaphor of mother to speak to them right at this point. There was a time in Israel's history where they had been defeated. Jerusalem had been invaded by the Babylonians. Babylonians came in as a mighty army, uh, completely destroyed, pummeled the city. The, the buildings had fallen, they were in ruins, and the temple was destroyed. The temple being destroyed was extremely significant because it was the center of worship. It was the center of their culture and their identity. They were Jewish, and they came to meet with God at the temple. All of it was gone. And they themselves had been taken away as exiles to Babylonia. And at this time, they were crying out to God, and they were saying, has the Lord deserted us? The Lord has forgotten us. They were no longer close to the temple. They were no longer in that relationship with God. They were in a foreign land. And they were so devastated that this is the way they cry out. And this is recorded in Isaiah 49. And the prophet uh, records uh, this conversation uh, with Israelites and God. And this is the response that God comes. They cry out, the Lord has deserted us. 
the Lord has forgotten us. And this is what God says. Never, never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? God is saying to these people at a time when they are devastated, when they are away from all that nurturing care and the place that they belong, and saying, God has deserted us. And God is saying, no, never. Is it possible? Is it possible? God even adds more. Uh, is it possible that a mother could forget? It is possible in the sense that it's not impossible. It's highly unlikely. But then all the other things that I said earlier, sometimes we're separated from our mothers and sometimes the relationship is broken and sometimes maybe mom has passed away. So we don't have that in our lives. But God says, but even, even if that were possible, I would not forget you. I will not forget you. So when that great important relationship that God has given to us as human beings to have a mother to take care of us and not only to care of, take care of us, to love us unconditionally, if that relationship fails, I will never forget you. I've carved you on the palm of my hands. I want you to look at that picture and think of your face right now in the palm of, your hand, in the palm of this hand. Okay. Then I want, to I want you to imagine that you are in a large, large, large open field, very large, because around you are millions of people, not hundreds or thousands, but literally millions of people, and you're just in that crowd, just one face in that massive, massive crowd. And on the platform is someone who is going to give some lucky person in this crowd a prize of $32 million. And of course, all the millions of people want that prize. But what's the likelihood that you're going to get it? You're one little face in a sea of faces. And how can that person way up there even see you? A person raises the hand, and lo and behold, it's your face. It seems incredible, but everywhere we go, each and every day, our face is in the hand of God. It's not stored away in some filing cabinet, and you come to God with a request, and he says, oh, let me see, uh, last name, L-O-L, let me check. Goes up to the drawer of L, pulls it out. Okay, can you remind me again what your problem was? It's not like that. God knows you. God tells these Israelites in a time when they are devastated, I will not forget you. I've carved you on the palm of my hand. Your face is there. He tells them, your walls are before me. I understand. I understand that you are devastated, that the walls of Jerusalem have fallen. But then he gives them hope. He gives them hope to look forward to a day when Jerusalem will be built up again. And that's what God does for us today. We may be in a very difficult situation. We may be in a situation that feels overbearing. We may feel alone. We're adults now. It would be nice if we could call mom, but mom is too far away. Or maybe mom has passed away. Or maybe we don't have that relationship with mom that we can just go to someone who loves us unconditionally. But God can. There's a character in the Bible who demonstrates this so beautifully. And I'm going, we're going to talk a little bit about her. Her name is Hagar. We're introduced to Hagar uh, when we, we're introduced to Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham is a patriarch, and Sarah, his wife, is the matriarch. God has called these two people to leave their family, and that God, was going to, God has given them a promise that he, they are going to become a great nation. So from Abraham, a great nation will be born. The only problem is, Abraham and Sarah don't even have a single child. 
Abraham is in his 80s. Sarah is in her 70s. What do we do? This is something that has plagued them through the years. And we hear about it every so often in scripture. So for example, a few chapters before the one we're considering today, Abraham is talking to God and he says, well, maybe Abimelech, my servant, will be my heir. But God says, no, no. The heir is going to come from you. And so then they get a few more years pass and we get to this chapter and we have this discussion with Sarah and Abraham. It does sound kind of ear, weird to our ears that Sarah says, oh, take, take Hagar and have sexual relations and I can have a child through her. But I want, you to tell, I want to tell you a little bit more about Hagar and her situation. Hagar had three main things against her. Number one, she was a woman. Uh, women did not have much value in that society. Number two, she was a foreigner. She was Egyptian. Abraham and Sarah acquired her in their journey, somewhere along the life, uh, along their journey. We don't know where, but they have this Egyptian slave. And she is a slave. No rights at all. Zero. In this particular time, um, you could do anything you wanted to a slave. Rules were such that slaves were property. So, for example, if you own a vehicle, and it is your vehicle... Completely, 100% your vehicle. You've paid for it. You pay for the maintenance. You pay for the gasoline. It is your vehicle. And it stops working effectively. And you get so frustrated with this vehicle. You take a bat and you just start going at it. You knock that car and you get out all your frustrations on that vehicle. And there's dents all over it. And the glass is all broken. Your neighbors may be a little bit weary of you. But you're not going to face legal action. It's, it's your vehicle. You do with it what you want. This is Hagar's situation. No say in what's going on here. So she's, picked up, uh, she's been picked up, and now her job is to serve Sarah. Uh, and that's all she does. It's whatever Sarah asks her to do, she does. All right? She doesn't have a say in what's going on here. She's basically being used as a surrogate mother. And that was something that was actually very typical. There was a code called the Code of Hubari, uh, which was a Babylonian legal text. And this influenced the way the people lived. So Abraham and Sarah were also influenced by this. So take, for example, in 2023, if a couple want to have a child and they can't, they would go see their doctor. They may visit a fertility clinic. But that didn't exist in this time. But this code did exist. And it basically stated that if a couple could not have a child and they wanted an heir and they had a slave woman, they could use the slave woman as a surrogate mother. Keep in mind that the, the child that would then be born would not belong to the slave. Listen to this. Genesis 16.1. This is Sarah speaking. The Lord has kept me from bearing children. Have intercourse with my maid. Perhaps I will have a son through her. I, Sarah, not you, Hagar. You have no choice in this, Hagar. Okay? You're a slave. You do what I tell you. You have no voice. What you think and how you feel does not matter. I'm using you as a surrogate mother. You're going to have a baby, and then that child becomes mine. That's the situation Hagar was in. A difficult situation, I'm sure you can agree on. But Hagar doesn't have a choice. So uh, this is what happens. She does get pregnant. 
And then she becomes very pompous and proud, and she shows Sarah contempt. Now, this is not right in the least in the least sense, we cannot condone this. What she did was not right. But you may want to think and may understand why she may have acted this way. Remember, she has no value. She has nothing. The only thing that brought women value in this culture was to get married, have children. Okay? As a slave, could she do that? Um, you know, no, she can't. She's, she belongs to this owner, and this owner tells her what to do. All right? So she couldn't do that. That's taken away from her. So finally, she has something that society says is worthwhile. So you can see that why she may have become a little bit proud and show contempt to Sarah. Okay? Again, we can't condone it, but we can probably understand why she might do this. Okay, things get really, really dramatic and dicey between these two women. She probably jabbed Sarah many times where it really hurt, okay? And so Sarah is very upset, and Sarah and Abraham speak for a while, and Abraham says, do with her what you want. She is your slave. And she does, uh, and then Hagar can't take it anymore. She runs away. She's now a runaway slave. She walks along in the deserts. She's by herself. This is a tribal society. As long as you remain within your tribe, you are taken care of. Roads were not necessarily safe in those days either. And you've got a lone woman, a foreigner in this place on her own. She's not in a safe place. She, is, she can be taken advantage by anybody along the road. And also, she's alone. Women usually traveled with men, men for protection. So she is not in a very good place. And what happens? Remember, her face was in God's hand. He saw all this. And now at this point in her life, he himself steps in supernaturally and he calls her and he says, Hagar, where are you going? And they have this conversation and he tells Hagar to go back. It's not at all a prescription to say in general, to say that this is a truth for all times in all places in all societies, that if you're in an abusive situation, you need to go back. No, this is a specific case. And there are reasons why Hagar had to go back. Where else was she going to go? Where else could she find help? If she goes back to Egypt, what's in Egypt for her? She's a slave. She doesn't have connections there. She's a runaway slave at that. Okay? She could be taken up by someone else. She has no way of making a, a living for herself. Zero. She has to go back in order to be protected, in order to have some way of taking care of herself and her unborn child. So just like when God spoke to the Israelites and they said, I, we are abandoned, God has forgotten us, and God says to them, never, and he gives them a promise, he does the same for Hagar. He gives her a promise, a promise about her descendants. And with that promise and that hope, she believes God and she goes back. Yes, it's hard to go back. Yes, she had to humble herself. And that's the beauty of all this. In fairy tales, the good guy is 100% good, and the bad guy is 100% bad, and then good always wins out in the end, and everything is so nicely, neatly fit in a two-hour movie. It doesn't work like that in real life. And that's the beauty of so the story of Hagar. There's so much messiness. There's so much complexity in all these relationships. There is the injustice of society that put Hagar in such a place where she was away 
from that loving care of a mother, where she could not have this community around her. None of that was there for her. And yes, you know, she played a little bit of a role in her, her problems as well. And that's what we do as well. But God is saying to her, your face is engraved in the palm of my hand. I see you, I see your walls, and I'm taking care of you. And that's what we see, how God took care of Hagar. Let's move on to a few other things here for you to see. You'll notice, if you read that verse that we talked about, that no one referred to Hagar as Hagar. Sarah and Abraham, they would always say, the servant girl, or the servant lady, or the servant woman, but they never referred to her as Hagar. Her individuality was taken away from her. She was just something to use. But when God speaks to her, he says, Hagar speaks personally, intimately to her. He is showing the value. Hagar, your face is on the palm of my hand. I see the injustice that you are suffering. I understand that you had no choice in the situation that you find yourself in. But Hagar, here's a promise. And he gives her that promise. She had no influence in society. She had no voice. But what do we see that through this story? What happens with Hagar? She ended up doing things that only patriarchs could do. So God spoke to her as God spoke to Abraham. We see that uh, she named God. She named him as the God who sees me. I have your hand printed on the palm of my hand. And she acknowledges that and says, the God who sees me. She understands that God only sees with physical eyes, but with that loving, penetrating, caring eyes that he sees the depth of her being and is there to take care of her. She names a well. She names a landmark, a slave, a woman, a foreigner, someone who has no power actually names a well. This is significant because this would have been the role of a patriarch or a male to do. But no, this is the way God is cheating her. And um, she uh, gets to keep her child. Because if we fast forward the story and we go a couple of chapters ahead to Genesis 21, we see now time has passed. She went back. She stayed in the house of Abraham and Sarah. She had the child. The child is now about 13 years old. And think about it. Because she was there, the child then had an education. The child was trained in military service like all the other people in Abraham's household. So the child had so many advantages. And now the child is 13 years old. He is probably at that age, age to start your profession in life, okay? Isaac is born. And then Sarah says, that's it. Get that slave woman out of here. And now she has to leave again. But this time when she leaves, she's not a slave. Do you know why? Remember that code I told you about a little while ago? There were codes at that time. And there was one that said that if someone, if a slave woman has a child in your household and you don't want that child to somehow have the heir, uh, be the heir, you can send them away. But when you send them away, you give them your freedom. So remember, she left as a runaway slave, but now she's leaving as a free woman. She's leaving with a son who is uh, a free man. He's not a slave. Do you see the, the generational uh, situation of slavery is now ended for Hagar? Do you see how God is working through her life in the background? He's fulfilling that which she missed out on because she did not have the love of the mother. God is doing it for her. And remember also, Sarah says, get her and her son out of here. 
her son. We started with, uh, takes Hagar so she can have a son for me, my son. And now she's saying, get rid of Hagar and her son. Hagar was supposed to be a surrogate mother. She was supposed to have that child, but then no rights over that child. And now she's leaving with the child. It's hers. So much injustice was going on in Hagar's life, but God was overseeing it all and changing all this evil, working within the limitations of the broken society to bring good for Hagar. Um, and uh, her needs were not met. I mean, her physical needs were met, but any type of emotional need, any desire as a slave would have not been met. But now God is meeting all her needs and meeting the desires of her heart. Which mother in this world would want to have their child and then not take care of them? That would be a very difficult decision to make for moms. Very, very difficult. Because there's that natural desire to take care of that child. That is your child. You keep that child. You raise that child. And uh, God gave her that desire. So Hagar, if we look at her, we know, we started off by talking about the importance of moms, and we talked about the fact that sometimes we just don't have that, or the world is, is so difficult, or our lives are so broken, or we're in such a mess, or in such a difficult situation that moms, just that hug or that care is just not sufficient. And Hagar shows us this as an example. Her life was really tough. But God was saying to Hagar, your face is on the palm of my hand. And we see we see the evidence of that through her life. We see how God took care of her every step of the way. It's not like God snapped a finger and everything became right. This is not a fairy tale. It's not that all good was reversed and suddenly everything turns to good. No, she still had to live in that house for another 13 years as a slave. But behind the scenes, God was working for her good, was taking care of her despite the injustice she was experiencing. And we know she believed God. Well, what if she didn't? What if she didn't when God met her on that road and said, no, I'm not going back there? We don't know what her destiny would have been. We don't even know if she would have made it alive to Egypt. We just don't know. But she did believe God. Remember in scripture it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him towards righteousness. And we see Hagar's doing the exact same thing here. She's believing that promise that God is going to take care of her, that God is going to give her descendants more than she can count. And she acts on that belief, and she goes back. The other thing is that she humbled herself, and she followed through on God's instructions. So often we talk about the greatness of our moms and what they do for us, and it's all true. But sometimes we forget that there's a little bit of humility that it takes for us to accept our mom's love. It's so natural to us that we don't think about it, but maybe when we're a little bit older and we say, I can do this on my own. I don't need your help. Um, we need to have that childlike spirit, just like a child goes to the mom without thinking, just goes. And that's what Hagar did. She had that humility and she followed through on God. So on this Mother's Day, we come to our takeaway. What is this? It's a wonderful day to celebrate moms. And I hope that every mother in here will feel treasure today and that you'll have wonderful celebrations. But we want to take away something, that God uses a powerful metaphor of motherhood to teach us about his love for us. Motherhood was God's invention. 
God, God invented us with such needs and gave us mothers to fill those needs. But when mothers cannot or will not, or we're in a situation that it's just mother's love is just not enough, God says, I've put your face is on the palm of my hand. But to enjoy the benefits of this love, we need to believe his promise. It's easy to talk about, but when you're in that depth of despair, can you remember that your face is on the hand of God's? And we have to humble ourselves and become like little children with their moms. So as I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up, we'll just close in prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much for giving us the gift of mothers. I thank you, Lord God, that you are the one who gives moms the deep love that they have for their children. And we thank you so much, Lord God, that when mom's hug is not enough, your face, our faces are on the palms of your hand. And you love us, and you will always take care of us, and you will never, ever leave us. Amen. <laughs>